Well, um, I will hopefully go back to Mark next week. I do want to try to finish going through that gospel. But um, today I took this little detour. First Peter chapter 4. And uh, John read that for us. I just want to talk a little bit about this idea of um, the transforming power of God in the life of a believer through suffering. Suffering is a part of life, and um, we all go through it. And so um, every now and then it's good just to stop and be reminded of these things. I'm sure all of you are familiar with Helen Keller, American writer and activist, uh, among other things, who was born deaf and blind and became, in fact, the first deaf and blind person to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree. And she said something very pertinent to this message. She said, although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of overcoming it. And I think that might be the best scriptural view of the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, Christ the life of the overcomer. Because um, we all want to be overcomers. We all want to uh, triumph over the things that happen to us. Um, and we all want to realize this truth. But the only problem with overcoming is that there have to be obstacles and difficulties in our ways, in our way, in order to be overcoming them. And uh, that's not a fun thought sometimes that. This is the way life's going to be. But then the Bible promises us this over and over. Through much tribulation, we'll enter the kingdom, for example. Jesus promised definitely that the world hated him and they would hate us, and there would be suffering and trial. And uh, sometimes there's suffering, the kind of suffering that we read about um, in Iran, uh, the kind that we just read about from the book of Daniel, where specifically people of God are suffering because they are obeying God rather than man, and we see it in other places in Scripture. There's many, much of it in Acts that takes place, for example. Um, but sometimes we don't really know whether the suffering is coming because we are believers or because we just live in a sin-filled world. But I think the truth remains um, for us whether we can discern what kind of suffering it is. Through the suffering, God brings glory to himself and good to his people. And I think that's the part that we need to try to grasp and hold, uh, take hold of. Because ultimately, we will overcome everything because of the faith that God has given us. In fact, John said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And we know that our faith is only as good as its object. And our object of faith is, of course, Christ. Um, but... We have to practice our faith, and when we do practice it, and when we live in this world, we are going to be faced with adversity, trial, tribulation, affliction, suffering, all these words that we don't like to think about, um, but um, we don't get to skip it, we get to endure it. In fact, I think we are told at one point that God will not allow us to be tempted above what we are able, but with the temptation, we'll make a way of escape, and sort of, again, promising us that you're not going to get to skirt it. You're going to have to go right through it. But through it, God will provide a way of escape for us. So um, 
I want us to think about this. How does suffering transform the life of a believer? And I believe the greatest way that I can tell from reading Scripture is it does this through retraining our thinking. Retraining our thinking. And when you start looking at some of the passages in Scripture that talk about suffering or tribulation and persevering through it, it almost always has something to do with thoughts or the things that we know. For example, in Romans 5, verses 3 through 4, we glory in tribulation knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 15, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things for loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. See, that idea of our mind thinking things. And then, of course, one that you may be familiar with, 2 Corinthians 4. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus may be manifested also in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death works in us, but life in you, knowing that he who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise up us with him and will present us with you. So there's that idea that just continually goes through scripture. And so when you think about living out the Christian faith, which is uh, something we struggle with and we all want to do, but we just don't find ourselves doing it. I think this is a place that we need to constantly go back to the things that we know. I mean, this is what scripture does. Hey, you're suffering, you're, you're being persecuted, tribulated, you're under tribulation, then you need to know some things. Go back to the things you know. That God raised Christ from the dead, he's going to raise you from the dead. So what's the worst thing that can happen? Death, which is not the worst thing. It translates us to glory with God. And I think that's what the transforming and renewing of our minds is about, is understanding who we are in Christ. Much of this warfare, so to speak, that we have, we fight in the ideas or the arena of thinking. I mean, this really is just common sense. We, we never get into sin or we never do anything without first thinking about it. You know, now sometimes you may have to react to something quickly, but almost everything we do, we have thought it through. We have thought about it. And I think that God emphasizes all this um, thinking for us to be reminded that we're going to be attacked in our mind. If you think about some of the things, for example, I remember reading about um, uh, the president of um, Voice of the Martyr in his solitary confinement that he was in for a long, long time. And what the enemy tried to do to him was destroy his mind. And that's what solitary confinement does, right? Puts you somewhere so your mind just does things. And most all... Uh, of that kind of um, persecution, that kind of uh, punishment is an effort to destroy you in your thinking. 
And if we are honest and go back to the garden in the original um, state of man, what did Satan do? He started messing with their minds. Well, surely God didn't say that. Oh, well, God just knows you, you'll be like him. And it started, their minds just started going through this. Well, I would like to know that. You know, whatever their think, thought process was. But I think that God certainly knows that one of the purposes for suffering and struggling is to transform our thinking. And one of the tools that he's given us to help us in persecution and trouble and uh, distress is thinking. Go back to the things you know and think through it. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you can't do this. But what did Christ do? And who is Christ? And we're constantly pushed back to that. And so thinking through this passage that we read, I just want to share these few points before we close. One, suffering causes us. Why would God allow us to suffer? Well, one, because it causes us to look beyond our present situation, which is kind of what I've already been saying. It causes us to look past it. So Peter says, don't be surprised as though this is strange, but rejoice in it as partakers of Christ's suffering. Rejoice, he says, because more joy is coming, even from your suffering. And this is an opportunity, as it points, as Peter points out, to identify with our Savior, because he is certainly identified with us. I think Paul says this on several occasions. I count a joy to suffer, because I'm a, this is, I think somebody said once, maybe we're ne never more like Christ than when we are suffering, because he suffered. And then Peter makes this point. This is not strange or surprising. It's to be expected, which we've already mentioned. So what it might be proper to say is it would be more strange and surprising if a Christian doesn't suffer. That would seem to the Bible strange. So when we suffer as believers, it's not so that we may think of how strange it is that we, you know, sort of that idea that we've been given from uh, the word faith movement, well, why? If you were right with God, you wouldn't be suffering. You know, for, for somebody to look at you like Job's friends looked at him. Well, what have you done to God to make him so mad? Why are you this in this condition? No, Peter says, don't even think about it being strange. It's not strange or surprising. But it should propel our minds forward to the exceeding glory which shall be ours in Christ. As Paul said in Romans 8, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So though it's hard to do in the midst of it, during difficulty and suffering, it's a great time for us to try to think, not around it, but through it, what's going to be on the other side? The glory that shall be revealed in us. I mean, what a great way to even look at this life in general. Because this life often is full of suffering and sorrow, and hurt, and heartache. I mean, it seems like it's hard, to, it's hard to think there's long periods of time when there's not some kind of suffering, or heartache, or sorrow, because we live in this world full of sin. But if we can think of the glory which shall be revealed in us. In the third century, one of the Roman emperors named Valens threatened one of the uh, fathers of our faith, Eusebius, who was a Christian historian, um, and polemicist, he was 
a great uh, defender of the faith, the Christian faith. But this emperor was trying to get rid of him and, and quiet him. And so he threatened to confiscate all of his goods and he threatened to torture him and he threatened to banish him and he even threatened to kill him. But this was Eusebius's response to those threats. He need, he need not fear confiscation who has nothing to lose, nor banishment to whom heaven is his country, nor torments when his body can be destroyed at one blow, not even death, which is the only way to set him at liberty from sin and sorrow. So what a great way to, to prove this point. Suffering is not that big of a deal when you realize the only thing that you could do, the only thing this world could do, the only thing that enemies of God could do is to set me at liberty from this sin and sorrow that I'm stuck in anyways. Now, that doesn't mean we run around looking for ways to die. But I think it's, it's part of that transforming our mind. It's a different way of thinking. Secondly, suffering is proof that we belong to God and not a reason to doubt him. What is the tendency of our flesh? The tendency when we start having difficulties, when we're, we find ourselves in tribulation and trial, the tendency is to say, I knew it, I don't think, there's not a God. If there was a God, why would this be happening? Or at least that's the tendency of many, right? How many times have we seen that? Well, I used to go to church, I used to believe in God until my mama died, and now, you know, as if somebody, some people are supposed to live forever. I mean, why would this happen? If there was a God, why would he allow this to happen? I've been faced with that before. And it's a hard thing. And look, right when things are happening and right in the midst of difficulties, I get that. That's the flesh. I remember being called one time. Just remember this story. Uh, I wasn't really a chaplain, but somebody called me from the hospital and said, can you come up to the hospital? There's a family here who just lost a child in a fire. They're devastated. We need somebody to talk to them. And so I walked in. I never met these people. Um, they know me. And I just began to talk. I didn't even say anything. But their, their seven-year-old child had just burned up in a house fire. And he asked me who I was, and I told him. And he just looked at me right in the face and said, there ain't no God. If there's a God, there would, this wouldn't happen. And he turned around and left. And, I mean, I didn't chase him down and try to prove that there is a God. You know, I just um, let him be. And in about 20 minutes or so, he came back and apologized to me, and we were able to talk a little bit. But I get that. That's sort of, the, that's sort of where the flesh runs to. You know, I've decided how life is supposed to be, and if it don't go that way, then don't talk to me about God because if God was God, he would do things the way I want. That's kind of, that's really what it boils down to. If there was a God, then life would work out like I want it to. But what suffering really does, according to the scripture, it retrains our mind, again, to believe that suffering's not a reason to doubt, but rather a root of strength to hold on to. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, then God's word is proving itself true. And often, again, if we're familiar at all with the Bible, we would not be surprised that it's difficult to live in this world. And especially when things really hurt us or, or sorrow our hearts. We look around us and we see filth and, and sin and we see the repercussions of sin. It shouldn't surprise us. 
And it certainly shouldn't cause us to doubt that there's a God or that he loves us or that his word is not being fulfilled because it is being fulfilled. I mean, the very fact that there's tribulation and that God's people are suffering is proof that the word of God is true. I mean, I love how, I think it's Peter again who says in one place, hey, when people say Jesus is not coming back, they've been saying this forever, Jesus is not coming back, well, that's proof that he is coming back. Because if they really didn't think he was coming back, they, why would they even bother worrying about it, right? Suffering doesn't, shouldn't cause God's people to doubt him. It should cause us to believe in him more. G.K. Chesterton said once, our tendency in times of trial and suffering is to turn from God, but in heaven's name to what? Suffering is to press us into Christ, not away from him. Spurgeon was quoted as saying, he who dives into the sea of affliction brings up rare pearls. These are rare indeed. When the world is saying, what kind of God would allow that? Where's your God now? Our minds ought to be trained to say the same kind of God who would allow his perfect son to go to Calvary and die. That seemed out of sorts, didn't it? That seemed backwards. That seemed unjust. But it's the same God who will take all of our tragedy and all of the evil that's around us and work it for our good and for his glory. That's the way our minds have to be transformed to thinking that way. And finally, Peter says, hey, also, suffering ought to do something for the people of God. It ought to remind us of God's judgment. God has judged us in Christ, but he will judge the world in her sin. Judgment falls often to separate the wheat from the tares. Paul told the church at Corinth, there were divisions among them so that those who have God's approval may may be clearly seen. I think there's often judgment. I think when it says here, judgment must begin at the house of God, it's time for the people of God to be reminded that judgment is a real thing. Hey, our sins have been judged in Christ, but people who do not know Christ, they will be judged in their sin, not in Christ's righteousness. And so he says, if the righteous are scarcely saved, then what will be of those who do not know him? This can serve as a great motivation to evangelism, wanting to see people know Christ, right? Wanting to see the gospel shared. And it should be a motivation. There is a real judgment coming. I think uh, oftentimes we forget about that or we take it tritely. And he finally says this, suffering gives us a reason to do good, not a reason to quit. Again, these are, these are truths that are contrary to the flesh and to the world. Because greater is he who's in me than he's in the world. And so I should be spurred on to the works he has called me to, not shy away from them just because things are not going my way. And that's why he 
concludes this section here with these words that we read. Therefore, let who those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let those who suffer entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Again, I often don't want to do what's right, even when things are going great. When things are going bad, I less want to do what's right. But again, I, so much of our faith and so much of our Christianity is in our minds being retrained to think biblically. And it's hard to do. And if you don't do it while times are good, it's going to be even more difficult to do it when times are bad to bring those things back to the forefront. And, and, and I'm uh, preaching to the preacher and the people at the same time. I recognize this in my own life. And so this passage is one that um, I, I'm trying to tread carefully. I do, I do not want to take it out of context and because a lot of us don't know the kind of suffering like we read about from Iran, for example. But as God's people, we're promised suffering and trial and tribulation. And I think just living as God's people in this world that hates him brings that about often. In whatever kind of trial it is. In other words, I don't think it's right to say, well, this is a man, I'm really struggling and I've got this heartache and this heaviness. But none of this scripture applies to that because this is only about, you know, um, suffering in a certain kind of way. I, I think the suffering... Uh, in a way, it's universal in the, in the sense that training our minds to think biblically and to understand that through suffering is how God brings us to his kingdom. That's always appropriate. It's always correct. And I think these promises um, are always good for us to remember that through our trials and through these things that God gives us, he will make a way of escape. And through that, he will make us Stronger, he'll make us believe more because that's what we need to keep right. More faith. And so, I hope that encouraged you. Some of you may not need that at all, but maybe somebody did. Um, and at some point, we all will. So, I pray that God will use that for his glory. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and um, thank you for the truth of it. God, I pray you'd help us to believe it more. Um, all these wonderful, beautiful truths that you give to us in Scripture, um, they are to cause us to be transformed in our minds and not conform to the world. And so I pray that you would just help us in that and continue to, to uh, give us more faith to believe your word and um, word these things out in our lives that we will be strengthened in our faith and that we won't be unstable and tossed to and fro, but that we'll be solid in our thinking, and uh, especially when things are tough and bad. And so we praise you for all these things that we've been given in Christ. We thank you for Christ who endured the ultimate temptations and the ultimate struggle and even um, had to bear the weight of wrath and judgment that we deserved so that we can 
not be crushed and per- even though we are perplexed, but we will not be forsaken because of him. Even when this world wants to destroy us, it can't have us because we belong to you. And so just keep that in our minds that our thinking will be that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>